So good evening. As Josh said, my name is Joe. I'm a church planting resident here at Grace. And unfortunately, Pastor Steve is sick tonight. So a few, few days ago, he called and asked if I'd be willing to step in and happy to do so. So for those who've been around Grace for a while, know that we're in the middle of a sermon series called Church After COVID. And the message I'm preaching tonight wasn't originally planned, but I get to throw in a bonus message on this theme. And my aim this evening is really simple. It's to remind us of God's unstoppable move as he causes the gospel of Jesus to spread to all nations and all peoples through his church. And we're going to do this by recounting the whole story of Cornelius, the Roman soldier, and his household, their conversion to Christ from the book of Acts. So let me pray. We need help. It's a big story. There's so much going on. So let me pray for this time. Father, we thank you so much for your word, this amazing, great story, your story of redemption through your son, by his blood, for your glory and our eternal joy. So Lord, I pray that as we remember and recount the story of Cornelius and his turning to Jesus, Lord, would you amaze us tonight? Would you pour out your spirit in a fresh way upon us? And would you move us out, even as was prayed earlier, all the more into mission of seeing this good news of Jesus spread. So I ask for your help. Meet us now, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So please, please take out a Bible or your phone and bring up Acts chapter 10. So during COVID, of course, many things came to a stop, right? For a season, in-person church was stopped. Our home groups here at Grace had to stop meeting in person for a while. And for a short season, travel itself all came to a stop. Now, unfortunately for many of us, we became too accustomed to this reality. We liked not really having to go anywhere and just staying at home. But an unfortunate thing and why we're having this sermon series is that many of us have lost our momentum in pursuing God in community with others, with the church both in corporate worship, in fellowship, as home groups, and throughout our lives. Now, along with this, I believe that we have also most likely lost our momentum, lost our step in mission. And being God's church, his people on mission with him to see the gospel spread to all nations and all peoples. So why is this? Why have we lost our momentum? Now a lot of restrictions are lifted. We can go back to normal life. So what's, what's going on? What's the problem? Well, I believe that a lot of it has to come down. It comes down to fear. This season of COVID has kicked up a whole bunch of fears within our hearts, right? Fears of sickness, social interactions. We started to fear interacting with other people. And then a whole new level of fear of what might happen in this world. Big, huge things. What might happen to us personally, to our families, 
to the very places where we live. So the world suddenly seems to be probably a lot more scary than it did just a few years ago. And this fear and this isolation has resulted as led to new waves of hatred, division, fighting, bickering, and possibly even in part, some of the wars we're seeing today. So in light of all this negativity going on, all this fear that we're all to one degree or another struggling with, we need to be reminded of how God's mission to spread the gospel through us, through his church, is unchanged. And I want to do that by recounting, remembering the story of Cornelius, as I said, from Acts chapter 10. So please, we're not going to read the whole story. It's a very long story. It's actually the longest narrative account story that's in the book of Acts. So it goes from chapter 10, verse 1, all the way to chapter 11, verse 18. And the fact that it's the longest story tells us that it's very important. Luke records a lot of details in this story, and he wants us to take note of what's happening here. So before diving into this story, let me set it up a little bit where it fits into the bigger story of the book of Acts. So back in Acts chapter 2, we read of the apostles and the early Jewish believers meeting on the day of Pentecost, and a mighty rushing wind comes upon them. Now remember, this meeting on the day of Pentecost is after Jesus was crucified on the cross, after he rose again to life from the dead on the third day. It's after he appeared to the apostles. They spoke with him, they touched him, they ate, they drank with him. And it's after he ascended up to the Father. And he told them to wait. So this gathering on the day of Pentecost, as they meet and pray, a mighty rushing wind comes upon them. And this is the Holy Spirit, who Jesus promised he would give to them. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says the following before he ascended to the Father. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So in the book of Acts, chapters 2 to chapters 9, to chapter 9, we read of how God, through the apostles, through the church, is causing this good news about Jesus to spread in all of Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Cities, two regions, all within the ancient nation of Israel. But it's here, and largely, all those stories are about Jews coming to faith in Jesus. But now here in Acts chapter 10, in the story of Cornelius and his conversion, we read how the gospel now jumps from Jewish people to Gentile people. And we're going to see, as we read, as I recount the story, it's not an easy transition. Actually, a lot of the New Testament is all about this reality, how Gentiles, non-Jews, have become believers in Jesus and part of God's people, something unthinkable for thousands of years. And so there's 
takes the church a lot of time and a lot of ink and a lot of debates to work out all of what that means. But here in this story, God is very active. We're going to see it to make sure that the gospel goes from the Jewish people, his apostles, to the Gentiles. To go from these comfortable walls of Israel, the Jewish people, into the big, bad, dark, pagan world of Rome, the Gentile world. So although this, although this story is very long, it actually divides up into four nice parts. And I'm going to speak of these parts as acts, like acts in a drama or a play as we walk through it. So the first act is, verse, is chapter 10, verses 1 through 8. It's Cornelius's vision and commission. So now this first act of the story, the setting, is in the place of Caesarea. Now, the location is very significant. Look at the name of the city. What do you see? Kind of like a game in a kid's book. You see the name Caesar. I think I heard someone say it. Caesarea is Caesar's city in the Jewish homeland. The emperor of Rome, that's his city in Israel. And at the time that this story was recorded, when Luke was living, the apostles Caesarea was the capital of the Roman province of Judea. The city represented the power and presence of Rome as an occupying force over the Jewish people. Now, given that this is a Roman city, it's not that surprising that we meet in the story a Roman army army officer, one by the name of Cornelius. So Cornelius belonged to this occupying force, the Roman army that had ruled over the nation of Israel for more than a century. But what's interesting, look at the verses, if you have them there before you, what's interesting about this Roman soldier is that he was a God-fearer. He's someone who gave alms generously to the Jewish people, gave money towards charity, and he prayed continually to their God. He himself was not a Jew, a Jewish convert. As far as we know, he wasn't circumcised. He didn't keep the Jewish law and separate himself from non-Jewish people. Later in the book of Acts, we're going to read about a lot, or if you read it on your own, a lot of these God-fearers, Gentiles, non-Jews, who worshipped the Jewish God, but they weren't fully in. They weren't fully part of the people of God. But these were the low-lying fruit, some of the ones who were the quickest to believe in Jesus and become the early Christian church. So Cornelius, even though he's not a Jew, he worships the God of Israel. He's drawn to this God and he blesses the Jewish people. So God takes note of this particularly eager and devout Roman soldier, and he sends an angel to him with a special message. The angel says to Cornelius, verse four, you can see it, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now quickly, anytime an angel arrives in the New Testament, something big is about to happen, more, more often than not. Something momentous, something sort of earth-shaking, splitting is about to happen. And that is what's going to happen in this story. We'll see it as we move on. 
So this angel has a very simple message and command to Cornelius. He says, send men to Joppa, Jaffa, and bring one who is called Simon Peter. There in verse five. Cornelius, as a good soldier, as a God-fearer, does as he is told. So the second act begins in verse 9, goes to verse 23. Here we read about Peter's vision and his visitors. So the second act takes place in the city of Joppa, a town on the Mediterranean coast, 30 miles south of Caesarea. And we see here, Peter is in the home of one named Simon the Tanner who lived by the sea. And Peter is up on the roof of this house and he's praying and he's hungry. Those are not good things. You don't mix those together, right? It's like praying and being tired. It's very difficult. So Peter yells down from above and says, make me some food. And then he goes back to praying. And then he falls into a trance. Very interesting word. He falls into a trance. So Peter, while he's in this trance, sees a vision. And he sees this great sheet descending from heaven and on it all kinds of animals, reptiles, and birds. Now this vision is very strange, right? But the next part is deeply troubling to Peter. A voice, which just happens to be the voice of Jesus himself, says to Peter, rise, kill, and eat, verse 13. Peter responds to this command instantly. He says, by no means, Lord, I'm a good, faithful Jew. Nothing unclean enters my mouth. So Jesus repeats himself twice, says to Peter, kill and eat. Well, thankfully, Jesus also explains himself to Peter. He says this, verse 15, very important verse. What God has made clean, do not call common. Do not call it unclean, Peter. So it says then in verse 17 that Peter is inwardly perplexed. He's deeply troubled by this vision. What could it mean? And as he's pondering what it could mean, The Holy Spirit, you can see it in the text, speaks to him and says, go downstairs. There's some visitors that I've sent and meet them. So Peter goes down and he meets these men from Cornelius who say, our Lord up in Caesarea says, you need to come with us. You have a very special message that he needs to hear. So the Lord has prepared Peter for this next scene in the story. So act three, Peter's proclamation of the gospel and Cornelius' response. This is verses 23 to 48. So the following day, after receiving these servants of Cornelius, Peter, along with some other Jewish believers from Joppa, they depart for Caesarea. In the meantime, Cornelius is at his home inviting and gathering all of his relatives and close friends. You see that in verse 24. Cornelius wants them to hear this special message, right? An angel appeared to him. It's going to be something important, right? I better tell everyone. So when Peter arrives and enters the room, he sees this great crowd of people gathered together. Verse 27. 
Now quickly, this is something that we should be praying for as the church almost every day, if not every day. We should be praying that God would send us to or bring to us those people that are uniquely prepared by him, that are hungry and thirsty for the words of life, the words of eternal life. You know, people that are so hungry, so desperate, so ready to hear God's truth that they're going to go and tell everyone they know about it. And God, all throughout history, has used such people again and again to cause the gospel to spread from one place to another, from one people to another. One of the greatest stories in the Bible about this is the story of the Samaritan woman in John 4. You can read it. She's so excited, she goes and tells her whole village. So we also, as Christ's church, should be praying, God, lead us to such people. And may we be ready to share your message with them, just as Peter was ready. So now look at verses 34 through 43. This here, in summary form, is Peter's gospel message to this large group of Gentiles. Now, at the outset of this message, Peter says something that's very interesting. And unfortunately, it's not really captured all that well in the ESV translation, which is what I'm putting up here and many of you may be using. But in the New American Standard Version Bible, verse 34 reads, I most certainly understand now, or the NIV, maybe some of you have it, says, I now realize. Excuse me for a second. So what does Peter now realize? Well, he realizes that God is not partial. God shows no favoritism. God is not prejudiced. He's not predisposed to like some people and not like other people, right? He's kindly disposed, ready to support, ready to help all those who fear him and trust him, regardless of their ethnic, cultural, racial background. Verse 35. So Peter is now realizing that the vision which he saw that was so troubling, so strange, it's not about food, it's about people. He realizes that the times are changing. And now God's people are not going to be marked by circumcision or the fact that they don't eat this and that food. They're going to be marked by their faith in Jesus Christ, that they believe in this good news about Jesus. So having grasped this, understood this, Peter now begins to proclaim the gospel. Now there are many places throughout the book of Acts where we can read sort of what the message, the gospel message was of the apostles, but it's worth stopping for just a moment and highlighting that Peter, as he preaches to these Gentiles, he's preaching the same gospel, the same core message that he preached to Jews. It's not as if there's one gospel to Jews and one gospel to Gentiles. There's one gospel. Now, the way that they may start and approach things and some words they use may differ, but it's the same message, the same good news. So what is this gospel that Peter proclaims? Well, first, it's a historical fact, right? 
Look at those verses. It is focused entirely on Jesus, this historical person, Jesus of Nazareth, who lived in Palestine, ancient Israel, who performed many miracles by the power of God's spirit, was crucified on a cross by Roman soldiers, and then raised to life again on the third day. The gospel is historically true. If it's not true, it's completely pointless. All of Christian faith is completely pointless. You can let it go. Second, the gospel is according to the apostolic witness. The apostles, 12 men chosen by Jesus, are Jesus' witnesses of his life, death, and resurrection. They are the ones who say this is true. And so our message that we believe, it rests on their testimony. It's apostolic. And then lastly, and really most importantly, it's salvific. What does that mean? It means it has the power to save us. Peter, in his message, says that Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead. He's appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. Now, this is the amazing thing. Jesus, as the judge, also has the ability to forgive whoever he wants to forgive because he was judged first. He was crucified for our sins, for the sins of the world. So now if you turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, forgive me, he can say, I forgive you. And you can pass through and escape God's judgment. Look at verses 42 through 43. They're up on the screen. I'll read them. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he, Jesus, is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, Jesus, all the, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So as Peter closes his message, as he's proclaiming, the people, Cornelius, and those with him believe and the Holy Spirit falls upon them. And they begin speaking in tongues and praising God just like the apostles did back in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. The very same thing happens to them. The Holy Spirit comes upon them and they begin praising God. And it's at this point that Peter's inward troubles, his perplexity, turns to amazement, right? These Roman, uncircumcised, unclean, pig-eating, pagan Gentiles have just become part of God's holy people. Their hearts have been cleansed through faith in Jesus' name. They have received the Holy Spirit. Romans, Roman soldier, has just received God's Holy Spirit. And Peter sees it's just the same as he experienced and the other apostles on the day of Pentecost. And he realizes what this means. It means, as I just said, they're part of the people of God. They're in. And so he says, they must be baptized. They have believed. They've received the Spirit. Let them be baptized. And they're baptized immediately. 
They are now on equal standing, equal footing with these Jewish believers. So I want to take a second here and pause. If this is your first time in church tonight, or you're just starting to learn about the Christian faith, I want to share something very briefly with you. At the heart of Christianity is this very message that Peter proclaimed, right, to Cornelius and his household. It's the message that God has through the suffering and death of Jesus on the cross made a way for your sins to be forgiven. He's made a way for your heart to be cleansed through Jesus' blood by faith. He's made a way for you to be reconciled to himself, to God, and to escape his judgment. So what we offer as the church, and as we go out in mission to this world, what we offer to this world, it's not a method of prayer, right? It's not a moral improvement program. It's not another set of religious beliefs and doctrines merely. What we offer is this message, first and foremost, that God, through Jesus, forgives sinners and welcomes them in to his family. So if you understand this message, you understand the heart of Christianity. There's all kinds of stuff about Christianity, but this is the foundation. This is the starting point. And even better, if you believe this message, you also will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So now, Act 4, the last part of this story. It's verse, chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. So Peter here has left Caesarea, he's returned to Jerusalem, and he's immediately met by some angry fellow Jewish believers. These are strict, law-abiding Jewish believers, and they're very upset, right? Because Peter has gone into a Gentile's home, and he's ate with them, and drank with them, and, and spent time with them. So to counter these upset individuals, Peter simply retells the story of all that God did. Not that he made these decisions, but what God was doing. He tells them about his vision on the rooftop and what he saw. And then how these men came and told them, come with us and see our Lord and tell him this message. Then he recounts to them how he preached the gospel. And amazingly, as he preached, the Holy Spirit fell upon them and they received the Holy Spirit. And then Peter concludes and he says the very words that Jesus said to him. Verse 10, he says, what God has made clean, do not call unclean. So after listening to Peter, those who were initially upset, they fall silent and they begin to praise God. And they say an amazing thing. It's the conclusion of the story. It's the, it's the high point of the story. They say this, verse 18. They say, then to the Gentiles, these non-Jews, God has granted repentance that leads to life. The gospel has jumped from Jews to Gentiles, all according to God's sovereign plan and sovereign design. And it's happened through God's troubled, perplexed, perhaps fearful and reluctant apostle, Peter. So this story is so significant because it's almost 
Pentecost 2.0. It's not that. There's only one Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out by Jesus on the church. But what happened to Cornelius and his household so closely resembles what happened in Acts 2 that we would draw only one conclusion. And that is this, that God's gift of salvation, the gift of the Holy Spirit is for all, all who trust in Jesus, all who believe in him, no matter what their background might be. Jew, Gentile, man, woman, African, European, Asian, all who trust in Jesus are one, the same household, all on equal standing. So it's from this point on in the book of Acts, you can read the whole thing if you, you want, have time. You're going to see from chapter 11 on that the mission to Gentiles, non-Jews, picks up steam. And interestingly, Peter and his mission to Jews kind of falls to the side. You don't hear much about it. And we read more and more about Paul and his mission to reach non-Jews all throughout the Roman world. And it ends with him reaching Rome and wanting to get to Spain. And if Paul had still had his life today, he would probably keep going and keep going and keep going and never stop, right? So this is the major turning point in the book of Acts, where it moves from the Jews to the Gentiles and a major turning point in God's story of redemption. So how to apply this to us? How to apply this to Grace Church into this sermon series, Church After COVID? Well, I want to do it by looking at three truths about God that we have seen in this story and draw some implications, some application points for us. So the first truth to notice, to take to heart is this unstoppable move of God, right? The movement of God to bless all nations through the gospel is unstoppable. He made the promise to Abraham thousands and thousands of years ago. In Abraham's seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God is going to make it happen. Peter powerfully captures this truth about how it's unstoppable in chapter 11, verse 17 of the story we just read. Let me read it. And it's a question. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? No one, nothing can stand in God's way. COVID-19, lockdowns, fear, worldly divisions, nothing will stop God from fulfilling his mission. He will bless all nations, all the families of the earth through Christ, through the gospel. So here in Acts, we see this unstoppable move of God beginning, going from Jews to Gentiles. But the last 2,000 years of history is the same story over and over and over again. If you were where I was standing right now, you could see all the nations right here in this room. Incredible. The gospel has been going from the Middle East to Africa, to Europe, to South Asia, very early on, later to the Americas, 
and further and further east, right? The gospel God is unstoppable. There's not a country in the world today where you'd not meet a follower of Jesus. And yet, the mission is not yet complete. And we know that because Jesus made very clear that this gospel will be preached to all nations and then the end will come. So it's not done. It's not over. COVID didn't stop it. It continues and it must continue. God will make sure that it carries on. And just to remind ourselves, there have been far, far worse things in history than COVID-19. It's been terrible, disruptive. It's been fatal for so many, but there have been far worse, worse things that have happened. And yet the gospel has continued to go forward. God's move is unstoppable. So let's pray as a church for a fresh outpouring of God's spirit upon us as we're his church on mission. Second truth that we see about God in the story of Cornelius. God is impartial, right? Now, just because God is 100% committed to seeing the gospel go forward and will make it happen, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to be on board with him, right? We might resist God. Peter encountered the impartiality of God, the fact that he had no favorites, and it challenged his own ethnic pride, challenged his own love of his own people and culture and his own ways, right? So he was perplexed. He was troubled, as God said, to go to these Gentiles. I think it's fair also to assume that Peter had a measure of fear. He's a Jewish fisherman from some backwater village, and he's going to go to a high up Roman officer, some who killed Jesus not very long before, and he's going to proclaim the gospel to them. Who was he to do this, right? So there's fear, probably fear with Peter. And returning to what I was saying earlier, right? This is one of the struggles we have after COVID in this time is fear. Fear turns us inward, but we see in the story of Cornelius that God is on the move outward. He is looking out for those lost sheep, as Jesus said, that are not yet of the fold. Jesus said, I must bring them also. They're not here right now. Jesus has more people to go and get. See, Satan wants the fear in the world, the division and all the difficulties of COVID and other things, he wants it to turn us inward. He wants us to believe the lie that mission is just simply not for us, not for now, it's for some other day, some other time. Or an even worse lie, well, the mission was actually for some past generation. I'm good, my people are good, that's it. We're gonna enjoy ourselves. Those are all lies. And Satan is using the lies right now in a big way to keep us stuck right where we're at, to keep us from moving forward on mission. So we need to be alert. We need to see where we might be opposing the move of God in his spirit as he seeks to see the gospel spread to all missions and all, to all nations and peoples. See, we want to be in the game and not on the sidelines. And as I wrote that, I remembered a neighbor of mine always yelling me at 
saying, Joe, get in the game, get in the game, right? We need to be in the game. That brings me to the third point, and that's the truth about God's patience. And that's important to say, after a strong exhortation like that, need to be reminded of God's patience. God's move to see the gospel spread is unstoppable. Our pride, our laziness, our fears are very real. They run very deep. We all know them in our own hearts. The difficulties, the challenges are many. They are great. And yet the gospel will go forward and it will go forward through the church through us. God's not going to just leave us on the sidelines. He's going to help us get back in the game. He's going to help us regain our step, our pace, and living with him on mission. See, Peter, see, God was patient with Peter, right? We saw that in the story. He gave Peter a vision of Jesus Christ himself. He said by the Spirit to Peter, go with these men. And then as Peter went and proclaimed the gospel, Peter saw this miraculous outpouring of the Spirit upon those Gentiles that he was preaching to. And in the end, through God's patience, Peter put all the pieces together, together and he was amazed. He praised God for what he was doing. So we also can trust in God's patience. If we're pressing into God, praying and asking for help. He's going to help us regain our step individually as a church to living on mission with him right here in Abu Dhabi and beyond. But let's not use God's patience, right? As an excuse to stay comfortable in our pride. Let's not use it as an excuse to just surrender to all the fears that we might have. Let's repent of unbelief, of these sins in our heart. Let's remind ourselves of the gospel and let's worship this God, this God who will complete his mission and who's committed to doing it through you and me, his broken, imperfect servants. So let me pray for us. Father, we thank you. Thank you that ultimately our salvation and the salvation of nations and peoples. Lord, it's not about us and what we do. It's about you. You are the one who first loved us, and we love in return. You are the one who's out seeking and saving the lost. So Lord, help us. Father, forgive us for the ways in which we have just let fears fill our lives. Forgive us for the ways that we are not trusting in you, in believing in you. Forgive us for the ways in which we have stopped running with you in this race towards Jesus and in making him known among all nations and peoples. Father, we pray, pour out your spirit in a fresh way upon us and amaze us with Christ, with the whole story of redemption and how you have been our working to this day to bring more and more people into your family. We give you thanks, praise you through Jesus. Amen.